0: When you read in the Bible about the relationship of employers to employees, it's always in the context of lists of duties where you have like husband and wife, Mm. parents and children, and then it talks about employers and employees. That's how the list goes. And so the Bible categorizes these relationships in terms of the household. And when you realize that, it, it dramatically alters the way you think about business
1: mission of Armored Republic is to honor Christ by equipping free men with the tools of liberty necessary to preserve their God-given rights. On this episode, I'm talking with a man behind that mission, David Reese. David is the CEO of Armored Republic and owns a smattering of other businesses as well, and he's also a pastor. He has a unique ability to understand and explain how scripture speaks to our daily work, and especially the way Christians ought to understand business. I'm your host, Landon Buto, and this podcast is provided by Cleveland Street Mortgage in pursuit of our mission of helping people to cultivate wealth and property in submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. Please enjoy this week's conversation and remember that if you're interested in getting a mortgage with our team at CSM or if you know someone who might be getting a mortgage soon, connect with us at clevelandstreet.com. David, thanks for joining me. Um, you know, we talked ahead of time and you mentioned something that I hadn't heard before that I thought was fairly interesting. Um, regarding your approach and mission in business. And you told me that business is part of the household and part of the private sphere, um, rather than the public sphere. Can you explain just kind of what you mean by that?
0: Absolutely, Landon, thanks for having me on your show. I appreciate it. Uh, So basically when you think about the spheres, right, what happens is we look around at life, life seems seems very complicated, but the reality is that, that God is the definer of the nature of reality. And God has revealed to us the nature of reality in his law. And so his law helps us to understand the way things ought to go. It shows us what we're designed to do. Um, and he has created institutions that we should organize our lives around. And so there are four covenant spheres. And those four spheres are the individual, the household, the church, and the state. And so the church and the state are both public institutions. Uh, The the church has public courts and public authority uh, given to it by the Lord Jesus Christ. The civil magistrate, the state, has authority given to it by the Lord Jesus Christ, and it has the sword with public courts and, and all that. The household is a private sphere, and the individual is the private sphere. And so you think about those things, you know, who owns businesses? Well, if the state owns the business, that's called socialism. And if the church owns the business, that's called corruption. Um, and, And so if we go, okay, what's supposed to happen? We're supposed to have the household and individuals doing ordinary dominion work. And employment relationships are voluntary exchanges between individuals and also as households are being built up we are so used to just the individual doing business but then we think of companies as almost being this like this public entity and we hear about right. public we think about public businesses and you know that means that it's the stock of that business is traded on the public exchanges but that doesn't mean that it's a public entity that it's like part of the state or part of the church it's just that it's a business that the public is generally able to buy shares in But that doesn't eliminate the fact that the shareholders are private property owners. And so when we think about that idea of private property, you know, publicly traded companies are still private property. Individuals who own businesses and they're wholly owned, that's private property. And if it's a family business, it's private property. So this idea that the the household and the individual, that's where the interaction is. And so it's voluntary exchange and it's building up an estate that you're going to pass on to your children. Um, and so that's where this belongs. And when you read in the Bible about the relationship of employers to employees, it's always in the context of lists of duties where you have like husband and wife, mm. parents and children, and then it talks about employers, employees. That's how the list goes. And so the Bible categorizes these relationships in terms of the household. And when you realize that it it dramatically alters the way you think about business.
1: Right. Do you have any sense of where this kind of um, notion that it is uh, separate from the way you're supposed to conduct yourself as a private person, uh, where we kind of made it a, as you're calling it, kind of a public sphere thing, where that came from or when that started, has it always been around kind of in in our culture?
0: Yeah, so I think in American culture, you started to have an end to the idea of employers having the responsibility that we would expect in the Bible um, in two major things. One, once the federal government started to get involved in trust busting, you started to have employers becoming more and more hesitant to sort of engage in helping in the lives of their employees. Now, some people use power to abuse it. Is that shocking to you, Landon? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. <laughs> so, so, really? so, so we have some people who are you know, building up businesses, and they abuse employees. They build, they, they build up businesses, and they make people dependent in a way that is not helpful to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that has always existed, and that will exist until the Lord Jesus Christ returns. But there is the desire for the state to come in and regulate things in a way where it's trying to solve the problems. Uh, you know, the breaking up of monopolies and trusts or whatever makes us so that there is sort of this this greater involvement. Um, and that is some of the beginning of it. But what we see in the 1960s, um, in the 1964 Civil Rights Act, what you have is it becomes illegal to discriminate on the basis of religion, on the basis of race, on the basis of sex, on the basis of a list of other things. And so national origin, stuff like that. And so you have all that listed out there. And what happens is the listing of religion in that makes it so that people start to get really worried about becoming involved in the spiritual lives of their employees and, uh, and they start to kind of back off. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so that, you know, the response to the sin of racial discrimination and, The response to other sins that are involved there, bringing in the federal government to seek to criminally punish it. And there's this important question of what sins are actually crimes, right? Hmm. There are lots of sins that the state should not punish, right? Should the state go around trying to figure out, hey, are you coveting that? You know, and so this, like, if you're, if you're going around and say, hey, are you thinking bad things about that person because of the color of their skin or because they're a woman or because, you know, whatever, right? When you have that going on um, and when you start to say, hey, you know what? We don't want you to associate on the basis of religion. You start to wonder, are we saying that the color of your skin and the religion that you have, are these things equivalent? Mm-hmm. Or like, and, and so... I believe it's evil to discriminate on the basis of the color of somebody's skin. I don't think it's evil to build associations built around the religion that you write. Right. Yeah. And so to lump those things together and also to criminally punish any of it, right? You go, there's a bunch of things that we have that are problematic in how we're thinking about this. So the 1964 civil rights act the, the the big corporations in particular, the big companies are really like, okay, boom, let's 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 push all this out, let's get rid of this, let's not think about this. We're going to depersonalize this. Management becomes more and more a manipulation system to get things out of workers, and there's less and less concern for them as people. And HR more and more becomes a mechanism for manipulating and managing risk for employees. And so Now, the funny thing is, we obviously have seen the HR department become the propagator of religion again. It it advocates wokeism and naturalistic materialism, and it advocates all sorts of ideologies that are anti-Christian and non-Christian. But Christianity being pumped out of human resources is something that we all kind of like raise our eyebrows at. Well, I'll tell you what. Yeah. If you want to submit your property to the lordship of Jesus Christ— you have to have a Christian company. And so I don't care if you're afraid, It you need to be strong and courageous and do your job, right? So if you're a property owner, if you're an employer, if you are somebody who is concerned about making sure that you're treating people who work for you well, you need to apply the law word of the Lord Jesus Christ and get over it.
1: All right, sorry for the interruption. Just a quick reminder that when your friends mention that they might be thinking about buying a house or refinancing, you can do them and us a huge favor by mentioning that you know a great lender and sending them to clevelandstreet.com. It'll be a huge help to us at CSM, and hopefully it will save your friends lots of time and stress looking for a lender they can trust. Yeah, and I absolutely want to ask more about your thoughts on what that looks like specifically. Um, I'm curious... While while we're still here, um, you know, you talked about how some of the some of the problem of viewing business and and your companies and your work as kind of separate from being governed by the law of law of God um, comes from the government's involvement in those things specifically. What would you recommend as uh, where where is the where is the line on Uh, Should there be any any government involvement in how people run their businesses? Um, Where where's the line there?
0: Sure So the government ought to punish Crimes that are based upon the authority that God has given to them So we know that in the garden there was no sword. There was no state right the Adam wasn't given the sword there to avenge himself and in fact after the fall Uh, there's, you know, with a case of murder with, um, you have Cain and Abel and Cain murders Abel and, uh, Cain we're told had a mark placed upon him. And in fact, instead of taking vengeance for the murder of Abel, it was said that if anybody avenged Abel, that they would get seven times the curse of Cain on themselves. And so you have the earth getting filled with violence. God establishes the state for avenging crimes with the Noahic covenant. So Genesis 9, where does that comes in? And so we see in Genesis 9 the establishment of the state for the purpose of avenging crimes. um, And the kind of symbolic head for all crime that's given is murder. Right. And so it says, you know, if if a man takes the life of another man, that his life should be taken by men. um, And that's what the sword is given for. So when we also see in Romans 13 that same sort of symbolism of the sword being used to refer to the state, and the state is referred to as an avenger of God, a minister of God, Uh, we see that continued idea. So what are the things that are supposed to be acts that require vengeance? These are the things the state needs to punish. Mm -hmm. And so active positive regulation where the state comes in and says, hey, are you managing this right? And they investigate you. The biblical model is to say, the state's supposed to be very limited, and what the state does is it waits for a victim to come to the state as it so that the state can avenge. And that's the deterrent value of the state is if somebody commits a crime, the expectation is that the state is going to avenge the person who was harmed as a minister of God's wrath. And so the deterrence and the recognition that there's systems for justice— And so that there is an avenging and a restoring to the harmed party on the part of the state, that the state does that. That's where the state's role is. And so throughout the Bible, you have requirements like in order for the state to punish anybody, you need two or three witnesses. Um, The Bible lists out for us what crimes are, right? It tells us. You know, theft is supposed to result in uh, money being taken from the person who stole and giving it back to the person who was stolen from. You have multiples that are given for that, Uh, things like murder, things like rape. We see all these things, and we see crimes that are associated with the whole law of God. And so all the Ten Commandments, there there are crimes that are associated with them, but not every sin that violates one of the Ten Commandments is a crime. So you can think evil thoughts about God. That's the first commandment. And that is not a crime. When you externalize it into this idea of the profession of another religion, you start to have the idea of the Bible saying, hey, here's an external act, and external authorities start to get involved. You have the state getting involved, you have the church getting involved. So that's what you see in the Old Testament. And so the difference between crime and sin is established in the law of god and then we have to deal with the differences between the old testament and the new testament uh but so those those things the state's role is to come in and punish crimes um, and those involve external acts of a certain level of grievousness and the scriptures themselves help us to see those categories
1: yeah yeah absolutely And, and it's so much of it is so um foreign from just kind of what the norm is now that it seems extreme um but but really when you start to look at the text like you're doing right now um and just looking at the the precedents that have been set up in scripture um it's not that extreme it's it's just the way it is it's the way it's been set up and i mean beyond that just the the concept of being able to regulate people's thoughts and motivations um, it's, if you really think about it, that's, that's a really difficult thing to be able to do effectively and consistently.
0: Right. So only God can do that, right? We can't read each other's minds. And so, you know, it's sin to have evil thoughts, right? The Lord Jesus Christ says, if you hate your brother in your heart, you know, you've murdered him, right? Well, is he saying that the state should go around executing people who hate, you know, <laughs> that's, right. that's, that's not what he's saying. That's not what he's yeah. saying. He's just saying it's of the same type and the same thing with lusting in the heart, right? So he's taking these things. He's saying that's not the role of the state. The role of the state is not to punish the mind, but God judges the mind. And so the state shouldn't go around pretending to be God, trying to read our minds and go figure out all our motives on everything. And so that difference, that, that limits human power. The state's role is to only deal with the external and so we have to deal with the external. And so one thing that you know, look at the American context and we have um, the First Amendment and the Establishment Clause, and we all think, well, you know how how can we think about our law being based on the Bible? Well, first of all, the Bible is the basis for what's called common law.. Um, When you look at the Constitution, it adopts common law, which has a long and storied tradition in England, and it comes out of the attempts to apply the Bible to limit tyranny, and the Puritans in particular pushed common law to resist the extortion um, and the tyrannical actions that were being brought to bear by the monarchy— against the people of Britain. And so the common law, applying the law of God to restrain government and to make judgments in particular cases of controversy, uh, the common law is essentially the application of biblical law in particular cases. Um, And it's the law that's common to all the nations. It's also, you can refer to it as the general equity of the laws that are in the Bible. But the other thing is, the First Amendment, when it talks about not establishing a religion, the point is that Congress would not establish a religion at a federal level. And you had all of these states uh, that already had established Christian churches, and none of them abandoned their established Christian church uh, when they adopted the federal constitution. The whole point was that at a state level that could be done, but at the federal level it could not. Now, I don't think that that's a good thing to have in place. I think that the the state needs to recognize the true religion,
1: and the so state at, at the federal level, you're saying,
0: right? Because we have a ultimately we have a, a a a national covenant in the form of the Constitution, and if we're going to acknowledge um, that there is a source of justice, that's God, and the the charter of the country is the Declaration of Independence, and it acknowledges. God it acknowledges the Lord Jesus Christ in the date at the bottom and it refers to God the the God of nature the law of God and all the people in the context of that, understand that to be the God of the Bible. And you have a few people, you have a couple of deists, for example, signing that and all that, but but they, they understand that that's going to be generally understood as the God of the Bible. Nobody's thinking the average American colonial was going to think that we were talking about like Krishna. Like nobody was thinking that, right? They were all thinking this is talking about the God of the Bible. That's how everybody's going to read it. And so that's why it says in the year of our Lord, you know, 1776, right? Because it's, they're talking about Christ. So. Right. So that, that the Declaration of Independence gives that context. The idea of an establishment of a religion was the establishment specifically of a church, not the idea that they weren't going to acknowledge that Christianity was true. But yes, mm-hmm. we have to we have to deal with, if you're going to have chaplains in the army, if you're going to swear in the name of the God that rules the land, if you're going to have laws that are judged ultimately by the justice of the law code of the God of heaven, all those things, You, the one that makes the rules is the God of the system. And so I think that the First Amendment uh, should not prevent the acknowledgement of the true religion, should not prevent establishment. I think that, that was a compromise uh, that was made, and I think the, the it was an effort to compromise that prevented further unification in an effort to maintain a broader trade union and in order to maintain a broader civil union. And one of the other compromises that was made, frankly, was the acceptance of the chattel slavery system and the enforcement of it. And so a consistent Christian would not agree to uphold the chattel slavery system and would also not be willing to say, no, we're we're not going to agree to not acknowledge the true religion at our highest courts. Um, and so I think that those were two failures that we see, uh, mm-hmm. but they were inconsistencies. People want right. to take that and they want to say, oh, that, look, these guys weren't Christian at all. It's like, no, just like every Christian you've ever met in your entire life, mm-hmm. they were imperfect. Right. And so we need to be blessed by the things they did that were good, and recognize the failures and build on them. And we don't just sit around staring at the nakedness of our fathers, saying, "Oh, look at all the things they did wrong." We take the time to say, "Here's what they did right. Here are some failures. Let's build on what they did that was right, and let's correct the failures."
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. All all of that is is a really helpful, uh, I mean, reminder. Um, and, and so, I'm curious what your thoughts are on on the applications of that then to our daily work. You know, one of the applications you already brought up is, you know, the ability to hire based on consistency with your stated mission as a business. You know, we we wanna build a business that's in line with our biblical values. And so part of that involves hiring people who are consistent with those values, who who have shared values sometimes. Um, what are other applications of acknowledging the fact that this is a, that our work that we do on a consistent basis, up to and including um, the way our businesses are run, our public businesses are run, uh, is done with, uh, under the authority of Scripture and under the authority of Christ. Um, what are other implications of, of acknowledging that?
0: Yeah, so I think that uh, one thing, um, first of all, we need to be trying to do everything to the glory of God explicitly. So like our mission statement, uh, we talk about the idea that uh, Armored Republic creates tools of liberty for free men to resist tyrants and criminals um, for to the honor of Christ. I'm sorry, I forgot one part there, which is we create tools of liberty for free men to defend their God-given rights from tyrants and criminals to the honor of Jesus Christ. And so this idea that we're acknowledging the source of rights, we're acknowledging the Lord Jesus Christ, that's the goal. Um, and so that's the mission of the institution. That's our explicit mission. Um, furthermore when employees come in we talk about how hey our goal is to apply the law of God to this business so we're never gonna publish anything uh, that is contrary to the God of the Bible uh, if we do we want to repent of it we're gonna avoid doing things that are considered as idolatrous or whatever um, we're going to uh, make sure that we speak in a way that honors the Lord we're not gonna take his name in vain we're gonna honor the Lord's Day which as a business people freak out about it and so It's pretty interesting because I get to basically go around and say, I forbid you from working on Sunday, right? The Lord's day. And so we just, we go, that's a day off. Don't send emails. Don't do anything. If there's property that's going to be destroyed or people are going to be harmed, or there's some work of necessity or mercy that needs to be done. Okay. We'll do that. Right. But but you're going, unless there's an urgent work of necessity or mercy that has to be done, mm-hmm. we're going to not work. And that way you can focus the day on the church, you can focus on your family, you can focus on taking in the Word of God. And so you know, there are non-Christian employees that go, yeah, okay, whatever. you know. But at the same time, they know that I am doing something that is for their good at cost to myself because I think that that is going to bring more blessing from God. Mm-hmm. And so you uh, you talk about culture of honor with the fifth commandment, with the sixth commandment, the idea of preserving life. And we make a life-saving uh, tool, right? We make body armor. And so that's about the sixth commandment. It's about resisting tyrants and criminals, preventing murder, uh, you know, allowing you to defend yourself. Um, Think about the seventh commandment. We're not going to advertise using scantily clad women or whatever, right? We're going to we're going to encourage that. So we talk about the idea of masculine virtue. Let's not appeal to the vices of men. We sell body armor. Guess what? Men buy body armor. Women typically don't buy body armor. And so, you know, there are some women to do But, I mean, this is a surprise. Anybody, like if you had a purse company, you'd be like, oh, women are our customers. Whenever you talk about men being your customer, people always freak out because we have this, like, anti-man age, right? right. It's just like, yeah, right. we sell body armor, and men are the ones that buy this. Everybody always wants me to talk about broadening the market and selling to women and everything. I'm just like, mm. I'm happy to sell this if a woman wants to buy it. Yeah. But you yeah. know who we sell That's to? Not who wants to buy
1: it. Yeah. <laughs> we sell to men. Yeah. Because so, they want it.
0: Yeah. Right. So we're gonna we're gonna appeal to masculine virtue mm. as opposed to appealing to the vices of men and trying to pray off of them. So the seventh commandment relates to that. The eighth commandment, providing an honest product. We don't steal. You know, we're, we're trying to do an honest product and uh, to do what we said we would do. The ninth commandment, we're to tell the truth even about our opponents, even about our competitors, right? And so this idea of not bearing false testimony um, and being careful in that and trying to make sure that if there's gossip inside of the company, we shut it down by saying, hey, let's get everybody in the room and let's deal with this. As opposed to the normal, like, you know, HR manipulation, whatever, doing a bunch of things. We try to go, hey, here's the thing. This is the problem. What do you have to say about it? And and trying to actually deal with it in a Christian way with conflict. Uh, and then with the Tenth Commandment, trying to encourage a sense of contentment and respect for each other and rejoicing with each other over each other's successes um, and trying to weep with those who weep. And so trying to bear with the weaknesses of people. Something bad happens to an employee seeking to help to lift them up, care for them in that. So those are the ways we try to apply the Ten Commandments. And there's obviously more details, but those are some just kind of quick flyover uh, things, and people are afraid of that. And I just say, look, be bold, be explicit about it. Honor Christ explicitly. Apply the law of God explicitly. And the book of Proverbs and the Ten Commandments are super useful in business. Yeah. And, and you're looking for a way to start incorporating it. Just go through the book of Proverbs with your employees. Just look for an opportunity. Do it in your in your business meeting or whatever, in your staff meeting. We regularly—I regularly I, re, I regularly use— the Westminster Shorter Catechism, because it gives a summary of the Christian religion, and it has some stuff on the Ten Commandments that's really helpful for application. And I go through the Book of Proverbs. The Book of Proverbs is extremely useful for business applications. Yeah,
1: for sure. Do you uh, Could you technically run into legal trouble for the way you guys operate? I, uh, I think the First Amendment, which allows me to have the
0: free exercise of religion um, and to not be punished for that very clearly— protects me. I also think that we do not meet the 1964 Civil Rights Act definition of discrimination on the basis of religion. We have people who are not believers here that have been in leadership and been in other various stations, but we're also very, very clear about what we do. Um, and, And frankly, if it became illegal to teach what the Bible says and to seek to apply it and to require that that's what's going to be done with my property, then send me to jail and I'd be happy to preach that in front of the courts. And I'd love to have the opportunity to come before the Supreme Court and say, here's what the Bible says. And I imagine that lots of people would be happy to give money to help to pay for that defense.
1: Right, amen, absolutely. Yeah, Um, do you anticipate, do do you feel uh, a movement towards boards having to have, have those conversations anytime soon?
0: Um, I think that our country is increasingly anti-Christian. I believe that the application of the 1964 Civil Rights Act is increasingly anti-Christian. The idea that you cannot discriminate on the basis of homosexuality or transgenderism is absurd. Um, and so the application of that is an anti-christian application uh, god defines man and woman he defines what a sex is and uh the idea that discriminating on the basis of behavior that the bible teaches is immoral uh teaching that that is something that you're not allowed to discriminate on is absurd the state ought to be um, honoring what's good um, and to punish people for seeking to have christian households christian businesses Uh, those types of things uh, is dangerous. So in Canada, you know, you have already some of these things where there's sort of this, uh, you know, the hate speech stuff. You see that in Britain. You're seeing that throughout the Western world where you start to have um, laws against the ability to teach plainly what the Bible is saying. Um, And we should say with the apostles, you know, whether we should obey God or men, you know, you tell me. And then when people don't get it real quick, you say, we're going to obey God rather than men, like the apostles also said. And so that idea, I think, is important. So, yeah, I think we're there. I think that there's going to be increasing persecution. And so one of the things I'm advocating, and I'm really frustrated about this, I try to talk to Christian leaders and say, hey, let's start meeting together and let's form civil covenants to swear to defend each other if they start to come for us. And it's really hard to get pastors to sit down and talk about that. So I'm a pastor of a church in Phoenix, Arizona called Puritan Reform Church, um, and I also own Armored Republic as a business and I also um, I also just try to interact with Christian leaders. And uh, the idea that we are on the verge of being broadly persecuted is on everybody's mind, and nobody has a plan for it. And I think what has to happen is meetings have to happen and commitments have to be made where we swear to defend each other if something happens. Mm-hmm. And that swearing to defend each other, you look at what happened uh, with Abraham when Lot was taken by uh, armies. When, he was in, when Lot was in Sodom, and armies came and conquered Sodom, and Lot and his family were, were kidnapped. What Abraham did is he had three other leaders that he was covenanted with, and they went together with Abraham's trained men. He had over 300 trained men in his house. And they went to go rescue Lot in a night ambush attack that involved a long march of dozens of miles in one night to go and rescue Lot. And in this flanking ambush assault, they freed Lot and a bunch of other people, and they were willing and able to do that. And so this this idea that we defend each other, you look at what happened at Purim as well. An example of Purim in the book of Esther, when it became legal to attack the Jews— they made bands together to defend themselves against the people that were going to attack them. And so the militia bands that were formed in the um, uh, in the period before the War of Independence were largely made up of men who were parts of essentially Puritan churches. Lexington and Concord, you had uh, Puritan ministers that were officers in these groups. And so the agreement to mutually defend each other when somebody's coming for you You know, the the thing that was the spark at Lexington and Concord was the British started to march to go after their guns. And so at Lexington and Concord, you have Puritan church members and you have a Puritan minister there. And the response from the British military to these guys was, hey, you guys need to acknowledge the sovereign King George and lay down your arms. And we're going to take the weapons out of the armory and the magazines. And the response was, we acknowledge no sovereign but God and no king but Jesus, and they didn't stand out, right? So we have to have that kind of mentality, that there is no king but Christ, and that we're not going to let people steal our God-given rights. And so I think businesses provide resources to help churches to be strong. They provide resources so that we can have political candidates that are Christian. They provide resources so that men can run with financial independence for office and deal with the fact that they don't want to listen to a bunch of evil donors that want them to compromise. And so we need Christian men to build Christian businesses and to not be afraid. And we need to work together and we need to consolidate into communities, have churches that are well-supported have multiple sources where people have Christian employment, have resources to be able to seek to have Christian government, and we need to swear to defend each other against tyrants that would take away our liberties.
1: Yeah, man, lots of good stuff. Um, You know, it stands out to me that you mentioned we we all have this sense that we're kind of on the edge of um, having to face this down, no matter what, if you— if you are a Christian, whether you own a business, whether you work in a business, whatever, in some in some shape or form, you're going to have to interact with the reality that um, the, our culture is increasingly becoming anti-Christian, um, and everyone has that sense, um, and so it makes sense to to make a plan to instead of just kind of wait for it, feel it out, uh, worry about it, um, to make a plan and start start thinking about what that looks like um, have you started, uh, what, what, what have your conversations looked like, uh, around that topic?
0: Yeah. So I think that, um, the idea of how you deal with that, that problem, again, the idea of, of, a, of, a, of covenanting, swearing to defend each other, I think we have to agree to some certain objectives. And the key objectives are we need to explicitly acknowledge Christ as the King of Kings in our civil sphere. We need to see, um, recognition that the way his rule is made manifest is by the application of the scriptures. We need to see that that means we're going to see Christian liberty as defined by the law of God defended, and we're going to see biblical justice administered. And so if we agree about those goals and we agree that we should, as Christians, resolve conflict with each other and seek to deal with matters amongst ourselves rather than going to these pagan, wicked, civil courts like it talks about in first corinthians that you know if we're believers we need to deal with things in the church before we deal with them in the state Um, and then furthermore we need to commit to this idea that if we are under attack we're going to defend each other and so i think being ready for that and refusing so if if they show up and they they say hey we're going to arrest your pastor because he's preaching the biblical sexual ethic okay well no you're not going to arrest him this is wrongful arrest and we need to refuse that And so we also need Christian magistrates that are willing to say, hey, if some federal agent comes here, we're going to arrest him if he tries to do this, right? So so we need to get local magistrates that'll do that, but we also need to gather men together and be ready to do that amongst ourselves. And so, you know, when a person with a badge and a gun commits illegal violence, illegal violence under the law of God, that person is not acting as a magistrate they are acting as a criminal. And it has always been the Protestant position that when people with a badge and a gun do wicked things, they should be punished like other people. And I'm not saying we have the right to go punish them as vigilantes or something. What I'm saying is they're not above the law. But what I am saying is that you have the right to defend yourself against somebody who has a badge and a gun. If somebody kicks in your door, has a badge and a gun, and they try to murder you, or they try to you know, murder your wife or children or whatever, right? You have the right to defend yourself. You have the right to defend other people. And so if they try to kidnap people, you also have the right to defend them. Mm-hmm. And so this is something that I'm trying to make sure we all have a proper view. You know, people are talking about the idea of potentially COVID mandates coming back. Mm-hmm. Do not obey. Mm-hmm. Don't yeah. obey.
1: Yeah, and it's, you know, you you take the extreme examples of they try to, you know, murder your wife and children. They try to kidnap you. Uh, well, they try to take away your liberty to speak freely, your liberty to go to worship. Um, you know, the same the same thing would apply. Correct.
0: Right. So, if they say don't assemble, disobey. Right. If, if they say uh, if they say don't preach these doctrines, preach those doctrines more.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely, uh, David. I'm going to wrap up with a final question here. You mentioned that. Um, you know, you're doing this with your business and maybe a couple other businesses as well. Um, you're on this mission of um, taking taking what's around you, taking opportunities, and um, obviously just applying the, the biblical principles we all live by to the work that you're doing. Um, but you also mentioned that you are hoping to continue this mission by pur- purchasing um, pagan businesses and reforming them. Uh, can you talk a little bit more about that? What you're trying to do there, and how uh, people can get involved in that mission with you?
0: Absolutely. So, um, that idea of of looking for businesses that are not Christian, but there's a good business there, right? Is this a this is a business that? Um, you know, has efficient production methodologies or efficient marketing methodologies, and there's an opportunity to improve them further or to improve their supply chain and all that. So you're looking for a a good business uh, that has durable revenue, where it has an ongoing way of producing value for people. But then if it's being run and it's either, uh, you know, it's currently anti-Christian or it's or it's currently just generally secular and, you know, therefore also anti-Christian, but just not like explicitly fighting in the same way that we might see from some of the more you know woke businesses or whatever. Um, the idea is you get a hold of those and you seek to bring in leadership that's going to help to transform it. And so by buying these businesses, what you're doing is you're taking property, income-producing property that was under the dominion of Satan, and we're seeking to put it under the dominion of Christ. We're seeking to apply the law of God to it, seeking to build that out, seeking to disciple people. You seek to, to get those resources and put that to deploy there. And I think you, you end up with opportunities to be able to, um, to generate resources and to create jobs And you're also having an opportunity for culture creation that is Christian, that is, you know, the law of God helping to convict people of sin, and then the opportunity to present the gospel and to have that be put out in constant form. And the interesting thing about a business is, you know, the information can be given out in driblets. You don't have to, like, put everything out every day. You just go, here's a little truth. Here's a little truth. Here's a little truth. And so it's little by little pieces of truth that are being put out there. And so uh, businesses, you have this great opportunity to interact with people on a regular basis, and they see the application of it, and the integrity of your witness is really on display in a business setting, because the way you behave is very visible, and it's, you know, are we applying the law of God here or not? And you have lots of difficult situations, and people see that, and so there's this way that that the the claims of hypocrisy are undermined as you deal with people day by day, and, you know, you're not perfect, but you go, I'm seeking to apply this, and I'm trying to improve where I've failed, and I'm trying to do this. And so this idea of seeing somebody with a sincere or uh, integrity-oriented application of Christianity is very powerful there. So I'm looking for people uh, to help with this. I'm looking for uh, deals with there's businesses that people are trying to sell. And it could be a Christian business. Be pagan. It could be a Christian who's trying to say, hey, I want to see my business continue to be a Christian business. Right. Uh, so right. I, either of those things. But uh, so people can check me out at uh, Real David Reese on formerly Twitter, now X mm-hmm. um, and
1: <laughs> I uh, get used to it.
0: <laughs> right. So at Real David Reese, that's Reese, R-E-E-C-E. And then uh, David Reese at armoredrepublic.com is an email address if anybody wants to reach out. I'm looking for deals. I'm also looking for investors uh, that are like-minded that want to accomplish the mission. And so uh, real Dave, at real David Reese on X and David Reese at armoredrepublic.com. If anybody wants to talk about the uh, ideas of of investing or deals that they want to do or businesses they want to sell, um, and so that's that's where people can reach out.
1: Awesome. And then we can I will link those in the show notes on this episode as well. Thank you. So you can check that out there. David, thanks so much for your time today. Lots of valuable information and thoughts and insights and really appreciate you giving your time.
0: Absolutely. Thanks, Landon, for having me on your show. I appreciate it.
1: Thanks for listening to Work Is Good. If you enjoyed it, share it with someone else, leave a review, and listen next week.